We're going to change the way we run. We're going to change the way we block. We're going to change the way we win. We aren't going to let anything, nothing come between us. We are a team. Those declarations just don't happen without ownership. When it comes to mission, when it comes to vision, and it comes to uh, values, principles, stated or not, we're calling them core values, all those things do not happen with that kind of ownership. Just, it just doesn't. We think about our own lives as we think as Christ followers, if we're kind of just doing, playing the game of church without owning a mission and a vision and principles for living and for interacting with our world, all kinds of things will disrupt the idea of team and going for a win and going for the way Jesus says and defines winning. And that's touching people's lives, making an impact, making a difference wherever somebody is at. Taking them where they're at, not asking them to clean up their life before they engage with their heavenly father and start to see things transformed from the inside out. Many of us in this room have experienced that ourselves. But sometimes we forget. Sometimes we get distracted by good things in life. And vision and mission and principles for living slide off the radar. The Titans went from just being at each other's throats to coming together as a team. And that doesn't happen by accident. So what's your mission? What is your vision? What are principles that are non-negotiable for your life, that you'd never cross, you'd never go this way? What are the ones that are instilled in you you almost don't have to think about anymore because you started to own them and they became a part of you? Growing up in our home, uh, we were always taught that if we were waiting in a restaurant or on a train or on a bus or whatever, and an older person came in and didn't have a seat, we had to get up and give them our seat. It was just baked into us. At first it wasn't. Then there was some kicks and it was like, hey, give me the look. But now I can say it was baked into me. When I was about 14 or 15, I, I, it was like I just couldn't stay seated. It was wrong for me to stay seated. And uh, those are those kinds of things. There are the unsaid ones, there are the said ones. And we as a church family, if we're going to stay a team and we're really going to make a difference, I mean, touch people's lives or we're going to just play church, how we interact with mission and vision and core values is of utmost importance. We've talked about mission. We've talked about vision. And we're working our way through our core values. Next week, we wrap up, remember the Titans, uh, with our last one. But we've talked about following God's leadership, really following God's leadership, not manipulating things, using spiritual talk to get our own way, but to really follow his leadership. 
to honor the Bible, honor the scriptures. Uh, that opener talked about we believe the Bible is the word of God and we need to understand context. We need to understand those kinds of things, but we are to follow it. Last week, we talked about living generously. And today, we'll talk about sharing Christ with others. In your message guide, you can see what a, a more formal definition of core values are. We've read that a number of times. But the bottom line is how they show up is how do we live. If you have a claimed value, but it's not being integrated in your life, it's not a core value. Let's not play games. When we're going to talk about sharing Christ with others, if it's not a part of our life, it's not a core value. It's a nice thing to put over the door. There's a nice thing to put here, but it's not a core value. If you and I wake up a few times a week and it doesn't come to my mind, our mind, how are we going to share Christ? How are we going to honor biblical truth? How are we going to follow God's lead? How are we going to be generous? Those aren't a part of our DNA. They're not a part of us. So just be honest. Those aren't your core values. <laughs> that's not your vision. And that's not your mission. And it's okay, but it's better to be up front than to claim something and not live it. And that's what's gotten our churches in trouble over hundreds of years. All the way back to the church in Revelation, the seven churches. A couple summers ago, we walked through them. Claimed values, not lived values. Core values, not really lived values. Mission, not really lived vision. And it just kind of goes through the motions. And the outside world looks at that and goes, that disgusts me. As it ought to. And if you're not a Christ follower, you don't have, have to run your life by. This is not your operating system. If you are a Christ follower, there's no way you can get away from it. There's no way to get away from it. And as I've said, we could come up with seven core values, ten core values, three core values. These are just the ones that uh, we've said are important to us. So we share Christ with others. We actively and compassionately engage and invest in the lives of the people of the world outside the church of our community in order to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. We're strategic about that. We don't just live in a holy huddle. We have connections not to manipulate, not to push, but just to, to, to share Christ through our actions and our words. Both of them need to be synced. Some of us are more words people, but our actions better back up our words. Some of us are more actions people, but there ought to be a time where our words come into play. I was an action person when I was growing up later years in high school. Never used my words to say what, why I was different. I missed tons of opportunities because of that. They need to work together. Yet, for some reason, sharing is just not a part of who we are. And it made me think of this guy because I can identify with him when it comes to just sharing in general. Oh, my friend Sarah had a great time last night. <laughs> yeah, so you're going to call this one back? <laughs> no. <laughs> talking about Sarah's great oh really you don't know what your great friend did we were out to dinner okay we were getting along having a really nice time I was thinking she's really cool and then out of nowhere 
want to go out with her again? Because she took some fries. Big deal. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, I can't believe I set you up with such a monster. Hey, 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 look. I take a girl out. She can order whatever she wants. The more, the better. All right? Just don't order a garden salad and then eat my food. Amen. That's a good way to lose some fingers. Seafood platter for the gentleman and extra fries. Enjoy. Fries are delicious. Oh, I didn't know you liked French fries. <laughs> Help yourself. What's mine is yours. <laughs> oh, wow. Are those just clowns? Uh, yes, they are my stuffed clams. <laughs> How about those fries, though, huh? <laughs> they are delicious. <laughs> Share food. Sure, I do. Cooley? <laughs> <laughs> if I can't have your clams, you can't have my dessert. This is a two way street. <laughs> really? <laughs> really? Now, this all better be here when I come back. Yeah, of course. I can control myself. <laughs> sorry <laughs> why don't we like to share and i can identify with joey cindy could tell you a story about 20 chicken mcnuggets and i didn't want to share one of them it's terrible and they're like i'll buy you as many as you want i don't know why it is but i don't want to share my food either why is it that there are certain choices in life we just don't want to share especially when it comes to the idea of faith. Sometimes it's because we are just afraid. We're afraid. We're afraid of what is going to happen, so we just don't want to share our faith. We don't want to kind of go on the line that we're actually trying to follow Christ. Uh, sometimes it's because we don't feel qualified reading about Moses this week and going back to Egypt, and he just didn't feel qualified qualified sometimes uh we don't want to come across as being pushy and i think that's a great thing uh, not being pushy and uh so we just want to back off we don't want to rock the boat i don't have this on the screen but sometimes uh we are just complacent we're just you know not engaged not uh bother you know it's just it's just not off the radar and and we just don't want to share but as Christ followers, if you're not a Christ follower, you're, again, off the hook on this. If you are a Christ follower, we are to share our faith in appropriate, relevant ways. And we're not to be so fearful that we back off. You remember this guy, Penn, he's an actor, comedian, a magician kind of guy. Uh, a devout atheist 
You may have heard, seen this clip before, but I, there's just no better expression than the way he talks about someone sharing faith with him. I want to talk to you about this. Uh, I get home from a show, and at the end of the show, I've, I've mentioned before, we go out and we, uh, we talk with folks and, you know, sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on. And there was one guy waiting over to the side in the um, what I call the hover position. And he walked over to me and he said, um, drop this for me. And he handed me a uh, Gideon pocket edition. Um, I thought it said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Or, uh, Psalms from the New, just part of the New Testament. A little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm sane. I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye. He did all of this. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive, and he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me. And then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone. Keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, but that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. Pretty powerful stuff. Said another way, no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Not a revolutionary statement, but do those around you, if you were to ever share your faith, point to Jesus in a direct way. Do they know it's because you actually care about them? Because you love them. I've had a few folks that uh, would be like Ken, and I've said, I, I, I'm sharing this because I'm concerned with you. I, 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 want, I want you to be in eternity. I want to see you there. I believe that. Now, again, I had credibility. I had built a relationship, not just to, not just to share faith. I, I, I really enjoyed the person. I remember this, this guy who used to cut my hair in, in Concord. And uh, he even said to me one day, do you think there's even hope for me, Dave? And I said, there's definitely hope for you. Gave me some things to read and talk with him. I can't tell you a big story about 
full circle. He said yes to Jesus and changed everything. But, but, but I, I, couldn't, I couldn't care for Bob, the barber. I love the fact it's Bob the barber. And I couldn't care for him. Couldn't actually love him. That may sound a little corny to you. Without eventually sharing faith. I sat in his chair for years, six or seven years. Couldn't do that. So I don't care what you know until they know you care. And he knew that it was out of uh, concern and care for him. So as a Christian, as a Christ follower, what you know? What do you know? What do you know? You know a lot of things uh, from Scripture. Uh, even if you've been a relatively new Christ follower, it was just a little while ago you said yes to him. You know some things. Know stuff like this. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. You know that. You believe that. John 3.17, all of us know John 3.16 for the most part. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. The next verse we sometimes forget. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help to put the world right again. To those who are outside of faith, those that you interact with, do they see the tone that Jesus uses in verse 17? It's not about how bad you are. It's about putting the world right for you, for us. Completely different thing. It's not, oh, you're such a wicked person. It's a completely different way of thinking and approaching. And I can almost guarantee that this approach, Jesus' approach, is better received than the approach. Didn't work when you were a kid. Didn't work when you were a parent. Doesn't work, really. Point a finger. Accuse. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. And a couple other translations said, the one true way to have life. No one comes to the Father except through me or next to the Father. I like that word next. I want to be next to the Father. That just comes to him. Uh, no one gets to the Father except through Jesus. These are some of the things we know. We know that it begins a relationship. This isn't in your notes. It's, it's a relationship with God because of Jesus that will carry you into eternity and through eternity when this life is over. It begins and just carries you into the next chapter. If you're thinking about these things, uh, there is a, a little booklet in a lot of the pockets out here, How Good is Good Enough. I encourage you to pick that up. My little, uh, little littler booklets don't seem to be, oh, there they are. And, uh, and then there's also a smaller one called Knowing God Personally. This one actually is online, every page you can walk through. So I encourage you, if, if you're wondering about these things, check it out. Shouldn't, it won't hurt you, it won't take you an hour to read this thing. And this very quickly, and uh, you can just kind of entertain and digest what it means 
to have a relationship with God because of Jesus that will bring me from this chapter of life into the next chapter of life. Now, there are, we could probably come up with more reasons, but we're going to talk about three reasons people are not a Christian. Uh, first of all is they have not gotten to know a Christ follower. Uh, maybe they haven't bumped into one. Maybe they don't know you're a Christ follower. They have, they have no idea about that. And in our culture in the United States, this is becoming bigger and bigger and bigger. 20 years ago, 50 years ago, people kind of knew about faith. They knew about the Bible. Today, not so much. Do you realize that the Northeast, including Rochester to Syracuse and a little bit down to here, and all into the Northeast, uh, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, Connecticut, Rhode Island, Maine, all these places have some of the most unreached people on the planet. This is a mission field. I'm all into Honduras. I'm all into South America. I'm all into Africa. I like what the DeMarcs are doing. But if you saw percentages, you'd see the Christian population is larger in those places than here in our own backyard. Shame on us for not doing both. Yes, send funds, support, send missionaries across the sea. But how dare us? forget across the street both not one or the other both and so they haven't gotten to know one, a christian and 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 sometimes they've gotten to know the obnoxious christian but hopefully with you they're getting to know a passionate kind man like ken describes christian so there are reasons, no faith, um, bad faith, uh, early faith experience. Some of you fit into these. There was no faith in your life or the faith was really, you know, not kind, not loving, not gracious. It was all truth without grace. Or maybe you had an earlier faith experience and uh, I carried you through your um, elementary years and when you got into high school uh sad to say uh and i've been a part of churches like this i've been a part of the problem uh that that the faith that we projected for a child uh, wasn't strong enough wasn't grown up enough wasn't uh, uh didn't have enough traction that uh, as a kid grew up that earlier faith just didn't become a, a a late teen early adult adult faith now, some of those stories, that I absolutely believe it, but, but they need to just not be stories. They need to be application. How does this play into when I get into adult problems? And so early faith experience, but, uh, you know, not, not much more than that. Now, the greatest evidence is a change in changing life. We talked about this a couple other weeks ago. Grow. Own your mistake. Own your sin. Think of one situation, uh, very powerful, when I admitted to lying to a boss in my early 20s. I wrote him an apology letter. He wasn't used to any of that. I didn't lie to him just so I could write an apology letter. I was totally embarrassed, but I thought I ought to do this 
and he didn't, he, he didn't know what to do with this. He was like, no one apologizes. I mean, I, I was ashamed. I said, I valued your opinion more than God's. I knew exactly what I was doing, and, and, and it rocked his, his world. He, he, was, he was in his mid-60s. I was in my early 20s, and he just, he, he just didn't know what to do with it. I think he, he wanted me out of his office as quickly as possible because this was changed life stuff. So again, a changed life. Going along with this, are you devouring what you are serving? Always makes me a little nervous when someone offers me a meal, but they don't want to eat any of it. What's about that? When it comes to faith, are you devouring it? Are you owning it? Or are you just serving it up, but it really isn't growing in integration with your life? You know, do, do, does this verse describe you, the woman at the well? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water, God, into their life, the Holy Spirit becomes thirsty again. Not th- this, and then he gets to it. But those who drink the water I give, this is Jesus, never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Is the water in your life stale and stinky, or is it fresh and bubbling? When you know Jesus Christ and you're growing in your relationship with him, it's bubbling. I have to be honest, there are seasons in my life, days in my life, hours in, where it's stinky, not, not fresh, it's sulfury smelling water. No one is a, wants that. So does it show up in our life? Jesus, when the disciples came back, they had left him with the woman at the well. He's talking crazy crossing all kinds of boundary rules and stuff like that. They had gone into town to get lunch for Jesus, and when he comes, ba- they come back, it looks like he's revived. It looks like he's had lunch. He looks, and they're, they're all concerned about this. Who gave you a meal, Jesus? And basically, this is what Jesus says. No, my, mer- my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. All of us, not just Jesus, not just the pastor, not the difference maker around the world, ought to find that doing the work of God, and we all have work of God to do, no matter who you are, should find it nourishing our soul, feeding our, our, our heart. And, and if it's not feeding your heart, if you're not even eating any of it, you've got to ask yourself some questions. When my soul isn't nourished, I don't look to Jesus and say, oh, God, Father, the songs we sung about, it's not well with my soul, spirit's not doing its thing. I don't say, oh, you guys, you, you, you one God and three persons, you Trinity, you're not doing it. I have to look inside. If I'm not satisfied and being nourished, it's my problem. Now, if you're not a Christ follower, you know, again, that you, you, that's not a part of your deal. But if you're following Christ because you've said yes to Christ, you say, I want to follow you, I accept your forgiveness, death, burial, resurrection, I want that in my life, all of those kinds of things. Not every second of the day, not every week of the, day, week of the you know, month, but overall, our nourishment should come from fulfilling 
his purpose for us, and we all have that. Now I'm going to get myself into trouble, but at church here, we have this growth process. At Seneca Community Church, you can go to that website, you do the little picture thing, and it comes up, and you'll see something like this. There's four specific um, segments to this, books, studies, they're coming online slowly but surely as we try to get this up and rolling. Th this is a, to help you grow and, and, to, and to digest these things. And these things aren't just for the newer Christian, they're for all of us. Every time I go through one of these, I'm reminded of stuff that have slipped off the radar. I'd love for you to do this at least once, but this is something that probably every few years you ought to at least pull your book out and review it follow? Am I really following? Am I really sharing my faith? Am I serving? Am I being a mentor to others? And you may say, oh, I'm not mentor material. If you have influence, you can meet with another person and walk them through the concepts in this book because they're supposed to be owned by you. You don't have to be eloquent. Sometimes I'm talking. A lot of times I'm talking. I'm like, blah, 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 and the other person listening goes, I got that. And I go, that's amazing. How'd that happen? Because God's working in their conversation doesn't rise and fall on you. Last week, boy, uh, uh, Megan made me look good at least. Uh, last week, we had four graduates from the follow. There they are, our three graduates. And uh, they, all fall, they all went through the book, and you've seen this coming on. I, again, I encourage you to go to guest services or sign up and get into this. So you've got the ones they've never known a Christian or and all that kind of thing, or... They have known a Christian. And because they've known a Christian, they go, that is not for me. Now, when you and I are following Christ, when we're living the way we ought to, none of us are perfect, but we're going down this road of righteousness. We're trying to follow God. Uh, people knowing you should be contagious to faith or offensive. They're either going to be, ooh, I want that, or ooh, I want that, but I don't want to admit to that, so I want to keep you away. But they shouldn't, and I read this, and I can't get this, this concept. It's not about being a jerk for Jesus. That, that is not what this following Christ is about, sharing your faith. And so all of us, Jesus said to the disciples, you don't need a lot of equipment. You are the equipment. Travel light. Paul talks about how a Christ follower is to act and behave on the outside because of inside changing we need to realize that our decisions have consequences. I don't have to spell these out. I'll just read it to you, and you can fill in the blanks yourself. I am saying that you shouldn't act as if everything is just fine when a friend claims to be a Christian is promiscuous. That means sex outside the boundaries of marriage, or crooked, is flipped with God, or rude to friends, gets drunk, or becomes greedy, or is a predatory. You can't just go along with this Treat it as unacceptable behavior. And so first to read that and go, oh, I see that person over there. I see that person over there. No, first read this for yourself. Are those behaviors a part of me? It's not acceptable behavior. So when I read something like this, I've tried to train myself not to think of those that fall short around me. First, I think of me. Where do I need to change? Where am I flipped with God? Where am I rude to friends? Where am I greedy? Where am I kind of getting my way? All of that kind of stuff. Am I being a little dishonest, a little manipulative? 
Those are, when those apply to me, I need to deal with them. And, and if that's the way we function as Christians, no one's going to want to be a Christ follower because it's a bunch of hooey to them. Since, yeah, since then, you've been cleaned up, not perfect, but cleaned up and given a fresh start by Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? And the automatic question I have to ask is, how cleaned up am I letting him clean me up? Am I taking advantage of fresh starts with Jesus on a daily basis sometimes for me? I need a fresh start daily. Am I living that out? Because when I'm living that out, way, it isn't just good for my life, which is good to a point, and then it becomes selfishness, but it's good for the people around me. When I'm cleaned up, I'm a better husband. I'm a better father. I'm a better grandfather. Better father-in-law. Somewhere in there, better pastor. When I take those fresh starts and I thank Jesus on a daily basis sometimes, it, it, it makes me just a better person for the people I'm around or around me. Take the news of his glory. God revealing himself, recognizing God, yes, to the lost. News of his wonders to one and all. How are we doing that? part of our lives now the question comes up is it your responsibility to make sure someone says yes to jesus is it your responsibility to do that and the answer is you can't get anyone to genuinely say yes to jesus that's that's you you can't convince someone you can't argue them in you can't give them that one last zinger where they'll go, aha, it's got to be God's work in their life. But we're a part of that. The Lord has assigned to each of us a task. Some of us plant, some of us water. Only God, only God is important because he is the one who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have the same purpose. Each and each one will be rewarded by his work. So another reason is this. They haven't gotten the pull to follow Christ. I tried to think of what word I wanted to use there. Pull, leading, inspired, conviction, whatever. There's a lot of words you could do, but they haven't, they haven't gotten the pull. Looking at a few translations and some phrases we read, the only way people to are the only way people come to me is by the Father who sent them. He pulls on their hearts to embrace me. He draws them, brings people to me. That's the only way you'll ever come. Only then do I do my work, putting people together, setting them on their feet, ready for the end. And I thought, not only ready for the end, but ready for the beginning. There's a beginning coming where things will be set right. I don't want to be just ready for the end. I want to be ready for the beginning. So how you care is important. Some little gardening tips from someone who can't stand to garden because he doesn't. But these are just concepts in my brain from having a father that likes to garden. But anyway... I'm told all seeds require different amounts of time to grow. So that's true with 
faith being planted, being pulled into someone's heart. You don't know the time. You don't know how long it's going to take. I still have a friend that I've been friends with for, I don't know, 40, 45 years. Talk to him a few times a year, and my hope is someday the seeds that are going to be planted will all of a sudden germinate. Is that the right term? And all of a sudden he will come to faith in Christ. It takes different time. Understand that. Also, it takes different amounts of water. You know, sometimes it's, uh, you know, too dry. I planted some grass a few years ago, and uh, afterwards a friend came over who helped me plant the grass, said, why is your grass, why is the ground all cracked and dried up? I said, what do you mean, why is it all what's happening? It's in dry summer. He goes, aren't you watering the grass? Well, no, I'm not watering. Shouldn't it just kind of do its thing? No, you got to water the grass. So, oh. What a hassle. That's one reason we got rid of a garden back when the kids were like five, because can you maybe go out and water it every night? And I said, we're going to just grow grass there. And we did, and I didn't have to use water. But anyway, this time, too dry. Take away. Do my friends even know that I'm a Jesus follower? Or am I just too dry? Have I planted one seed, one little reference, and it's dried up? They may need some more water. But then there's also those that uh, are too wet, way too much water. You're flooding the thing out. Plants will rot. The roots will rot, I'm told, and it's too much water. There was a time where my dad brought some plants back from Massachusetts, and he put them in our living room area, and he was concerned about watering them. Cindy was concerned about watering them, and they were watering them all the time, and that was not good for the plants. It's not always good for your friends to be like watering them all the time. They'll never bring faith up again if they think they're going to get a three-hour dissertation on something every single time. Don't do that. Again, Holy Spirit helps you to know. Or too much pressure. I remember I worked, believe it or not, I did work in a greenhouse. And uh, we had this big greenhouses in high school, and we had to water them. And, you know, there was just the right amount of water to t put on that one thing, you know, where the water goes, you know. And I can remember the farmer coming in, and too much, you know, and, you know, you got to have the right pressure. <coughs> Consistent watering is required usually by a multitude of people. When someone comes to me and says, I'm really concerned about this person, I hope they would say yes to Christ. A lot of times it's a family member. I say, let's also pray for other contacts in their life. Maybe there'll be somebody else that comes across their path. A friend of mine this week was telling me that he's got another friend at work, that, and he's a Christ follower, but having another Christ follower there just energizes his faith. Same thing can happen with someone where seeds are being planted. You're not the only gardener. There's others out there. And so I pray, would multiple people come into their life? They've done studies. One time I read this study where they said, uh, 7.2 uh, people need to be friendly with a non-Christian before they become a Christ follower. I don't know how they get that, you know, so you can go up to your friend, hey, this is point two right here, so tomorrow you should accept Christ. But, but uh, this idea that it's, it's, a, it's a team effort kind of a thing, not a solo, solo spot, solo sport. Also, uh, there's two problems, starting and stopping. Sometimes we weigh too much, and then we just give up and we stop, or you know, it's just, it's just, it's just we got to start, but we can't stop. And you got to have balance with that. All right, let me jump down. So 
So <clears throat> I don't want you to turn your pages right over because I have something else for you to do that if you go, oh, the, I've got the bottom line. It's done. Yay, hey, okay. So hold your horses. But this is the bottom line. Who needs some planting and watering in your life? No more fancy, no twist of words. You know, I tried to come up with something, but this is it. Who needs it? Do you have some people? On the back of your message guide, you're going to see three little blanks. I'm going to be pushy about this. I didn't say, you ought to come up with three names. Moving into the Christmas season, if you don't have any names, then you got to get out. Got to meet some people. I don't know, go someplace. Three names. Not three names that's impossible, you know. Oh, I, I really like Justin Bieber. No, well, he actually says he's Christian. I really like Elon Musk, so I pray that he, well, are you going to really have a chance to invite him to church or something? But, you know, be realistic. So come up with three names. Start praying for them. It's not magical just writing them on the paper. It's symbolic. You know, when we knocked out the back wall there, some of you, there used to be a wall before those two doors, and we had that wall. We wrote all kinds of names of people that we want to see come to church sometime. Actually, when we put the rug in, we did the same thing. And believe it or not, secret, some of you are those people. Won't tell you who they are. We're not ripping up the rugs to see, but your name is down there. So this idea, three names. It's got to be friends. You got you to check that out. So anyway, I want to end with this uh, little video and uh, then just a couple of comments. Again, be a friend, bring a friend, find those three blanks. Every Sunday I see you guys come in here from your church, and don't get me started on your chicken. Girls got to eat, right? Just a little server humor there. But seriously, I don't know everything that goes on in there, but I know something does because I hear you. Every time I drop by your table, I hear how great the message was from the pastor and how you wish more people would hear it. Well, I don't go to your church, so how am I going to hear it? All I got is you. So are you going to share it with me or just hope I stumble through the doors of your church with my finger fed? Well, since I have you here right now, I guess I can talk to you since it seems like you're not ready to talk to me. Well, but you're ready to judge me, my hair, my clothes, my language, my music. I know that you don't mean for it to come across that way, but you have to see how it looks from my side. You think I have a problem, that my life seems different, that there's something missing in it, and you have it, or at least you know what can fill that missing part. Okay, yeah. There's a part of my life that needs to be filled with something. But believe me, I've tried. I've tried to figure out what would make me happy. I've tried to figure out what would, I don't know, not make me feel like I'm worthless. Okay, so I'm not the greatest of people. But if I'm so lost and so far gone, aren't you the one that's supposed to help me? Aren't you the one with this? so-called good news that is supposed to tell me the truth because what I've been trying is not working. And I need to know that there is more than just coming in here every day, serving you your coffee, and 
pancakes to your lovely family. I need to know that there is more to my life than this. And guess what? You have to be the one because no one else is saying the things you say. How much do you have to hate someone to keep what you have for yourself in the same room? How much do you have to like your own comfort to leave me to myself? I need you. Okay, cut it. And if you think that that was easy for me to say, then you try living my life. I need you to pursue me. I need you to set aside your comfort and pursue me. Because I'll run. When I get scared, I run. And you have to come after me. You have to follow me into the darkness and show me the way out. Because you were there once. You went from death to life. And I know that those are your words. But if it's true, then this is more important than your safety and your ego. I'm still going to call you a Bible thumper, and I'm probably going to make fun of you. But don't give up on me. Before you talk it over, I've got bigger things. Feel me? Be a friend, bring a friend. These aren't the end-all things, but we do have something coming up next Sunday night. Somebody may not be into this, but if they could be into this, you ought to ask them. They did a test run on the tree last night. I can only show you this for a second. Look at that. Wow. So the tree is ready. Also, this Christmas, we have these invite cards. Do you know there's invite cards in your program every week? Every stinking week. Sometimes I have somebody come up to me and go, hey, could we do that? And I go, it's in there every single week. Use them. It's a lot of paper where trees were taken with. Who needs some planting and watering in your life? And if it's you, Get it locked in. Settle it up. Come see me. Come see someone. Go to guest services. Send me an email. You can find it right on our website. I'd love to talk to you about that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, help us to point to you in specific ways to a world, to a region of the, of the world, the country that desperately needs you. And would the world see that we still desperately need you. It's not a game. It's not a holier-than-thou thing. It's we're being transformed. We're being changed regularly. So, Lord, wherever we're at, we ask that you would put some people in our radar, and if there are no people, then help us to break out of our routines and meet some new folks. Lord, we thank you that someone took a move when it came to our lives, and that changed everything. All of this in your name. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us here today. We hope that God has spoken to your heart and as you take a move forward into your week.